Hi, welcome to the Business Vitality Podcast. I am your host, Katherine Canty. You can learn more about me and my team at KatherineCanty.com. For more than two decades, I have been able to travel the country and help other people grow their business. From those experiences, I was able to work with a proposal team that generated success 90% of the time for over a decade. We have created a leadership coaching program that is creating 100% measured results as seen by the leaders, peers, and stakeholders. And finally, I have spent nearly a decade in boardrooms, corporate boardrooms, where we are learning what's working and what's not. And more importantly, we're able to take the communication from the boardroom and get it down to the front line so execution is easier to implement. You know, from all these experiences, we created a framework called Business Vitality. These are all of the best practices of leaders and and opportunities that have been coming up decade after decade. And a lot of this stuff has been in practice for more than 20 years, 30 years and beyond. And what we're learning is a lot of these folks that are remaining vital in business today are having to think differently. And to share a quote from one of my CEOs that I've worked with in the past, he told me all day long he can hire folks, but what he needs more of are people who think outside the box. So in an effort to pay it forward and celebrate successes, we are going to be sharing stories of leaders who are thinking differently and remaining vital in business today. Please stick to the end and we will share how you can be a guest on the show. And thanks so much for being here. Rob Dubay, you are the visionary for the book, The 10 Disciplines, found on the web at the10disciplines.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Catherine. I am so grateful to you for your time, and, and I'm looking forward to chatting. I'm excited about this. I love our uh, pre-chat before we got this started, and um, I love your title of The Visionary. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, but before we do that, can you just talk high level, Rob, about The 10 Disciplines? Absolutely. So um, a little bit of the backstory. Um, I have a core business that I started in 1991, and that's called Image One. And it's um, a, a business-to-business company that provides multifunction printers and copiers to mid-to-enterprise-sized companies. So um, it's a basic company. It's been a wonderful business to run um, with lots of competition and lots of challenges, lots of moving parts, like so many other businesses out there. Um, The first number of years, my business partner, who also happens to be my best friend, and I really didn't have a good system to run the business. So we met this guy named Gino Wickman, and he was bringing on new clients uh, to teach them how to sort of gain control of their businesses. And so we were one of his first clients for what later became the Entrepreneurial Operating System or EOS. Um, And some people might, some of your listeners might know that from a book called Traction. So I struck up a a friendship with Gino as we implemented EOS. And we would meet in a coffee shop a few times a year and just talk about life. And I noticed he was living his life in a very unique way. And as it later turned out, he had incorporated these 10 disciplines into his life. And I was gleaning off these disciplines from him. They weren't really defined at the time. It was just the way he was leading his life. 
Um, and I started to incorporate them in my life. And many years later, he wrote about the 10 disciplines. He put them in an organized fashion so people could understand them. And the two of us partnered together to bring them to the world. And, and um, when you build this foundation um, in your life, you know, it really opens up more uh, freedom for you, more creativity, and really lets you make more impact on this world. And so that's why we're so passionate about teaching it. I think it's fantastic. And I, as I was listening and kind of doing a little bit of research on, on your work and the 10 disciplines, just listening to these, I just thought, gosh, they really hit home. They just really <laughs> deliver the results. If we have the courage to be able to kind of step up and give this stuff a try, Yeah. Um, not just the courage, but also that discipline of just continuing to just show up and implement this and hold yourself accountable. Um, do you mind just kind of talking about these 10 disciplines? Because sure. I think if, if people are not familiar with them, I think there's tons of gold behind there. You, you, if you want to go through them, that's great. If you want to talk about a few of them, that's great. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll welcome any of that. I think they're I'll all do, fantastic. I'll do a fast run through and then I'll, you know, wherever you want to take it. But um, the first thing I always like to say is as, as your listeners and as you, you well, you've heard them, but as your listeners hear them, they'll say things like, I've heard that before, you know, that, that one, I, I've heard of that. I get that. Um, the important thing is a bringing them all together and then B keeping them in your life. Hence the name discipline, you know, discipline can be scary to some people. So this is where, you know, we kind of wrap them up in a package and then we work with you to keep the foundation strong, no cracks in the foundation. We don't want that as you know, from our prior conversations, some of the work that your husband and you have done, no, no cracks in the foundation. That's not a good thing. <laughs> so, um, Discipline number one is 10-year thinking. And so we encourage people to just shift their mindset from short-term thinking to thinking at least in 10-year timeframes. And when you do that, the world slows down. You don't feel like you need everything now, now, now. And it leads to just better decision-making and more clarity in your life. So the second one, discipline number two, is take time off. And we encourage people to take at least 130 days off per year and this, here's the catch. Don't think about work the entire day. So that means don't check your email. Don't check in at the office. Don't go on, uh, you know, reading business books. Just free yourself from all of it. And if that seems like a lot, here's a little bit of perspective. If you did every weekend, there you have 104 days right there. If you took every holiday and a few weeks vacation, you're darn near 130 days. So it's very doable. Most people work on the weekends at some point these days, but we encourage you to just really turn it off. And you you find more energy when you do that. And again, you get more creative because you've, you've set yourself free from everything that's kind of bogging you down and you don't even realize it. So that's what's so powerful about taking time off. The third discipline is know thyself. And we encourage people to be you 100% of the time, 24-7, 365. You are so unique and embrace that. We say, let your freak flag fly. Please be silly, be goofy, be reserved. Whatever it is that you are, stop being a chameleon in your in, when you're out and about and you're in social circumstances. That isn't serving you. People pick up on people pick up on when you are not authentically you. They can pick up on that energy. So be authentically you, and people will love you unconditionally for it. 
The fourth discipline is be still. And that's where we encourage people to sit in silence for 30 minutes every day. So that's a tough one for a lot of people. We have busy lives. We have long to-do lists. and But there's such power in settling your mind and settling your body. Now, there's many ways that you could do this. Uh, some people... Um, use prayer as a, as a time to, uh, is that they're in that 30 minutes. Some people use meditation. That's what I do. Uh, some people journal. Um, I, we have one person who they have this large willow tree, um, and they live in North Carolina and they, they have the large willow tree and they just stare at the tree and watch it go back and forth in the wind, whatever it is that suits you best, just let your mind and your body settle for 30 minutes. It's not a luxury. Your, your mind and your body actually really need it. Um, the fifth discipline is know your 100%. And that is where you will decide on and commit to the perfect number of hours per week and weeks per year that you'll deliver your value to the world. And so for some people that might be 40, 50, 60 hours, could be 30 hours, just pick the perfect number of hours and set those boundaries. Let your team members know that this is how this is how many hours I deliver my craft. And then everything that comes at you, then you can evaluate it because now you know time is so precious and I can't take it all on. It's just not possible. So you'll learn to really set the boundaries and then people will begin to understand your boundaries and, and they'll be okay with when you might have to say no, which I'll talk about that in a moment. And same thing with the number of weeks. Of course, that ties into taking time off. The sixth discipline, which I mentioned a second ago, is say no often. <laughs> and, and this is really just to say no that to anything that doesn't fit in the first five disciplines. And it's hard to say no. I know I have a very difficult time saying no. Um, and when I say yes, I'm all in. I'm a highly accountable person. I want to help. That's my nature. And so when I say yes, it's a time commitment. And so saying no is very challenging. And so we encourage that this becomes a practice for you. And then you look at the boundaries that you've set, and that helps you with your parameters on what you can say yes to. If it makes you feel better, and we highly encourage this, when you do say no, uh, be useful. So you might say, I can't help you, but here's three people that I think can, and I'm happy to introduce you. So that's one way that you can say no, but still be useful and of service. Now, one way to practice this is to start by saying no to like 25% of the things that you're saying yes to now. And notice how that feels. Notice how much time opens up and how you use that time to really deliver your value to the world. Okay, so discipline number seven is don't do $25 an hour work. And that's not to say $25 an hour work is not important. It's actually very important. But you are in a position where that usually makes sense for you. And so you do need to learn to delegate and elevate as the saying goes. Um, so just one great practice for this one is to, you know, take a week and start jotting down every, all your activities every day, and then go look at those activities and put a cost to each one. So, you know, is this $15 an hour work I'm doing? Is it $25 an hour work, a hundred hour work, et cetera, and know what, what uh, level that you should be at. 
So if you're a person that should be at $500 an hour, you shouldn't be doing $50 an hour of work. And so you learn how to delegate and elevate all of those things. And we also encourage you to look at things that open up time and space for your mind in your personal life. So like for me, I'm not a very good handyman. So if something breaks in my house and I'm spending hours upon hours trying to fix it, that's a bad usage of my time and energy. And I have better things that I need to be doing. So if you're in a unique situation that allows for you to you know, have somebody come in and help you with those things in your life and open up that time and space, that's a great way, uh, that's a great time to, to do that. Okay, so um, discipline number eight is prepare every night. And that's really before your head hits the pillow every night, just jot down the next day's plan and start getting it sort of baked into your mind. And as you sleep, your subconscious will go to work. It'll be coming up with solutions to a meeting that you have coming up the next day. You'll wake up, you'll, you'll notice that you're pretty clear about your, your marching orders and what do you got to get done today. And, uh, and actually, you'll sleep a little bit better because you, your, your mind won't be spinning about, oh my gosh, I forgot this. And oh, geez, I need to do that. So just take about five, 10 minutes and prepare for the next day. Uh, the ninth discipline is put everything in one place. A lot of busy people, a lot of leaders, they're on the go, they're typing notes or dictating notes into their phone or typing them on their laptop, using different software applications. Uh, they might have a journal that is the journal of the week or something like that, post-it notes. And what people re uh, don't realize, especially people in leadership uh, positions, is they're actually letting their team members down. They're letting their customers down, their stakeholders. and uh, But they don't realize it because nobody's telling them. And so what we encourage you to do is find that one place. It can be the journal. It can be an application on your laptop or your phone. It could be as simple as a legal pad. I use something called a remarkable and have that thing by your side each and every day. And that's where you take down all your notes, all the things that you're going to do, all the promises, all everything. And at the end of the day, you spend 10, 20 minutes compartmentalizing them all. And so that's where you get organized at the end of the day. You find your to-dos, your calendar, uh, you know, the calendar things that you need to be aware of, and you're delegating hopefully a lot of those things, et cetera. So put everything in one place. And then discipline number 10, thank you for your patience, everyone, is be humble. View yourself as an equal to every person on this planet. And I know it sounds so simple, but I challenge people to think about a continuum where one is you're not humble at all and 10 is you're as humble as you can be and find out where you land on that continuum and try to move yourself all the way over to you are as humble as one can be and that you, you genuinely and authentically treat every single human on this earth as an equal. And along those lines, we always notice that humble people have a unique knack of expressing gratitude on a regular basis. So we always like to throw that in, make sure you're expressing gratitude each and every day. So there you go. There's the 10. <laughs> Those are fantastic. Thank you for, for taking the time to, to recite them oh, again. Absolutely. You have wonderful examples with, with each of them. Um, I could take any of these and continue to ask <laughs> questions, um, but I really am curious about what you're working on next. And I mean, I feel like the, the 10 
the 10 disciplines and we could take those. And I, I can personally relate to mm-hmm. so many of them, yeah. um, even with my re- remarkable sitting next to me. So oh, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're like, this is fantastic. So, um, but I'm also kind of dying to know you're working on something. Um, and it's, it's this book. And I remember in high school, I had to stand on a stage and they asked questions and it was part of this competition. And, um, I was nervous and they said, you know, if you only had, you know, the world's coming to an end in 36 hours, what would you do? Mm. And I stood up there and I didn't really have much time to prepare. And I, I, I just said what came to me and it was to do nothing. And it was to do nothing because I wouldn't have homework. I wouldn't have expectations. I wouldn't have to do anything for the first time. I could actually just be at peace and not feel rushed. And so I see the the name of your next book and it just really hits home from, from an earlier experience in my life of just wanting to have that space to be able to do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the name of your new book. Is that correct? Yes. That's, do nothing. That's a, yes. And it's not so new. It's a couple years old, but um, one of your newest, you yeah, have, you've right? written a few. <laughs> so, so, you know, do nothing came from, um, again, this is a little bit of a backstory. Uh, growing up, I, I had a lot of family circumstances. I had some trauma in my life as a child and as a young adult. And as I moved into my adulthood, you know, I just had this feeling that something wasn't right and that I wasn't as good of a person as I needed to be or really as I wanted to be. And so I just was on a journey like so many of us, just trying to figure things out. And um, I did a lot of work, a lot of inner work, And one thing that really became useful for me was a mindfulness meditation practice. And, you know, there's all kinds of ways to do nothing, to just be in in, uh, uh, silence or just to be still for a certain period of time. So I just say, you know, meditation happened to be something that, you know, resonated with me, but that might not resonate with other people. But as part of my journey and as part of my practice as it related to my mindfulness meditation, I would go on extended retreats for seven to 10 days where I wouldn't talk. And, um, and I found them to be very useful. And I'm a, I'm a part of many entrepreneurial and leadership communities. And people would be curious about the fact that I did this. And one person said to me once, what do you do when you go on those retreats? Do you just do nothing? (laughs) And I kind of laugh, like I just now still makes me laugh. And I said, yes, I do, but it's very hard. So, you know, it's not the kind of do nothing that's easy. It's hard because, you know, it's hard to be alone with your thoughts. In fact, there's a great quote that I always like to share, and it's from the best-selling author, Anne Lamont. And she says, my mind is like a bad neighborhood. I try to never go there alone. <laughs> so, you know, when you're when you're on the retreats, or you know, my experience and many others is it's a time where your mind does start to settle. And we have all the surfacey things that we're doing in this moment. And we get very caught up in those. And that makes sense and it's normal. And then you know, on retreat, those things start to dissipate after a couple of days and new things start to arise. And some of them are quite, you know, beautiful and amazing and others can be challenging. And, but after a couple of days of that, those start to dissipate and then you find um, a real settling. And then you understand what that feels like. And when you understand what that feels like, 
now you need to apply it in your everyday life because this isn't about escaping. <laughs> this is about learning and coming back to the present moment in your real life. And this works, and this is a leadership book, Do Nothing. And, and why I relate it to leadership is because where we are at our best is when we are listening and we're asking great questions and we are fully present and super curious and not trying to solve and have all the answers, but empowering people and helping them figure out what the answers are through our curiosity, through our presence, and through our, our uh, excellent question uh, asking. And when people have that kind of interaction, they walk out fulfilled and they feel strong and they know that they have the ability to, to go out and be useful for the organization and grow within the organization. The confidence builds. You are what I like to call a lifter upper, not a dragger downer. And so this is where you can really help your leadership team and those beyond that thrive is by not being the person that has all the answers, but has the person that is fully present each and every moment. It's fantastic. It, we played a, a game this past weekend with three 10-year-olds, my husband and I did, uh -huh. and we're sitting on the back porch and they're just talking, 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 and they won't stop talking and <laughs> talking. And so we said, we'll play the quiet game. And they're very competitive. And so the five of us played the quiet game and we made it 13 minutes before somebody broke down, which was a very long time for three 10-year-olds yeah. to stay quiet, <laughs> but to watch them fight the resistance of talking. And, and one of them was just physically just not well with this. One of them was just like, I can do this all day long. And then there was one that was just kind of somewhere in the middle. In the so middle. It, it's interesting to see how hard it is just to be quiet and, and to listen and, and to be engaged that way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm list, I've, I saw that experience and then I've always been intrigued with these seven to 10 day retreats, this, this mindfulness of being able to get away. And as you talk about it, it kind of sounds like a, a third, a third, a third, my brain kind of breaks things down, but it sounded like a third of like, you, you're just there to kind of get your, your thoughts in your head and you're just kind of working through it to kind of slow down. And then you kind of have a, a third of the time is kind of a bit of a, it's a settling and you're, you're beginning to come to peace with it. And then the last third is kind of where the clarity comes from. If, if I understand this correctly, and I'm wondering, you know, if someone's new to this and they don't want to commit or they're, they're like, Ooh, seven days of quiet might be too much. <laughs> is there a way to do this on a smaller scale and still begin to kind of dabble with this idea? Um, and if so, kind of, you know, what are your thoughts of, yeah. of just trying to test something like Absolutely this? Absolutely, 100%. I'm in unique company on long-term, on long retreats. That isn't the norm for most people. And I fully recognize that. So be still for 30 minutes every day. Start there. If 30 minutes is too much, start with five and then move up to 10, 20, 30. I highly recommend that you do move yourself to 30. And it is a challenge. And, and it's like anything. You know, when you practice and being still is practicing, when you practice, um, it does. And, and if you're not accustomed to it, 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 it does take time. You're working the muscle and you will get there. Remind yourself 
when you sit to be still, whatever it is that you're doing, why you're doing it. And what you're doing is you're practicing coming back to the present moment because usually we're in the past and we're recounting all those experiences that are long gone and there's nothing we can do about them. Or we're in the future and we're scheming on how we're going to make it all the way we want it. <laughs> and that only happens some percentage of the time <laughs> that we actually can make, you know, make that happen. But what's beautiful is when we recognize what it's like to be right here, right now. So I'm with you, Catherine. I'm with you right here, right now. This is the interaction that I'm having at this moment. And I can't be in the past and I can't be in the future because this is all I have right now. And that's what we're doing in that 30 minutes. We're practicing that. So when you're in a meeting and it's contentious and people are passionate and they're upset or they're whatever, and you're feeling your edge coming you know, forward or whatever it is for you, you bring yourself back to the present moment and you recognize that there's nothing I could do about the past. There's nothing I can really do about the future. So what can we do in this moment to, to, and how can I show up in a healthy way for the team? Because they're going to, so sorry, I just got so excited. I knocked over my microphone <laughs> because the team is going to feed off of our energy. You know, so yes. if they feel us getting worked up. Guess what? They're going to either get really worked up or they're going to retreat and be nervous, yeah. you know, but if they feel your spaciousness, your openness to the possibilities, they're going to be right there with you. It's going to be creative. It's going to be energy and it actually will be fun. And so that's your job as a leader. And you have to practice that. It doesn't come naturally to us. Yeah. I've, I have um, memories of, of certain leaders where you know, the body language and everything is just kind of shutting down and there's very little creativity and it's, it's just reaction and it's discipline and, but not the right discipline, but just, just that not rewarding. And then I've been in meetings where, you know, the leader kind of sits back and they're open and they're curious and they're asking questions and there's creativity that comes out that solves the problem so much right. faster yes. than the negative and the shutdown and that reactive state that I've seen in other places. So yes. it takes a lot of courage to be able to stand there and be curious and ask the questions and it be does. willing to create, co-create a solution. Yes, you're right. You know, there's a great saying by the Holocaust survivor, Victor Frankel, and he's a best-selling author of the book, Man's Search for Meaning. And he says, there's this moment between stimulus and response. And in this moment is where we get to choose. And we, we would like to choose happiness. And so we can always think about that when we, when, when we get triggered. I have this moment. That's that 30 minutes of being still. That's what you're practicing. I'm getting triggered. Now, how will I respond? You know, sometimes not speaking is the most powerful thing that you can do as a leader. <laughs> very true. And, and Victor's work is, is phenomenal. And I love being able to read it. It's very inspiring. And yes, um, I'm so glad you're familiar with it. Yeah, he is fantastic. And I think it's, it's very relevant today and continues to just continue yeah. to be relevant. Yeah. Um, and there is so much power in how we do respond, whether we respond or not. It's really indescribable how much power you can hold, whether you That's respond right. or not respond. That's so right. it's a lot of power that we all have that we don't even realize that we have, um, which makes <laughs> well life said. Well said. 
Yeah. Thank you. You mentioned something and, and we talked about foundations earlier mm-hmm. and, um, and you also, when we talked, um, even before I hit record, you mentioned about empowering teams and having that, that nice foundation in place. And I think for businesses to continue to, to grow and remain vital, you really do have to empower these teams to be able to do more and, and get, you know, the hands out of the business and, and let these people grow. A lot of times the, the folks that I'm working with, these people are amazing and they're hiring amazing people. And I have to remind them that that used to be you and you used to want all this responsibility and you've got to let them have some of this. So good. And so I challenge a lot of my clients. Okay. What can you let go? They'll let go of a few things and they come back. They're like, that was really hard. I said, yeah, like at this level, the game is really hard because you have to change the way you're thinking yeah. and you have to give people a chance. I said, by the way, how did it go? And they said, they really did a really good job. Like <laughs> I am shocked that they could pull this off. I mean, I, I have my doubts down the road. I feel like they're going to probably mess something up, but you know, for this past time, it, it was a good shot. And I said, okay, what'd you, did you have extra time? I said, yeah, I had extra time. I could actually, you know, think and plan and do things. And, um, and then I'll, I'll ask them, are you going to give it a try again and, and, and let them have the reins a little bit more? And uh, they're like, yeah, I think I might do this again. So, <laughs> you know, this, there's a real need for empowerment, um, mm-hmm. in order to continue to, to remain vital and, and to grow. And I would love to hear just your thoughts on, mm-hmm. on that topic. Well, first, Catherine, I love that you share with them that you used to be there. So don't forget. And, you know, there's something funny that happens for some when they get into leadership positions. And and that is that they maybe subconsciously love being needed. They love having the answers. They love people coming to them all day long and, and, and taking on all the responsibility of all of it. It's like on some level, it's oddly fulfilling. But what's most fulfilling is lifting up your team members. And so your encouragement to them is spot on. Now, here's, I'll share one way that we've done this at my, one of my companies, Image One. And, uh, and maybe it'll resonate for some, maybe they're already doing these kinds of things. But, you know, first of all, we've created systems within the organization. So we hear from all people, you know, you and I were talking a little bit, I think before you hit record, um, that, you know, in leadership position, sometimes we're usually removed from, you know, the, the real stuff that's going on. And so how can we uh, empower those that are closest to what's going on to do their best work. And that's through information and, and trust and letting them mess up. It's okay to mess up. Obviously they need to learn and the best people learn and they don't mess up twice, you know, maybe twice, but not three times. And so that's when, you know, you have great people, they mess up, they take it to heart. They never want to do it again. And they get better each and every step of the way. We use something called um, the great game of business. And this is where we um, teach financial literacy, both in business and personally. So all of our team members, learn how to read the company's income statement and balance sheet. And they are constantly um, 
given access to it. And we have in all of our all hands, we're going through it together. We're doing exercise to reinforce all the concepts and how it all works. Now, when they understand how the numbers work, then they understand their impact on the decisions that they make. So if they have a mess up, they can correlate that just cost the company X amount, whether it was because it was hours spent or defective products or whatever the case might be. One of my favorite stories that I like to share that illustrates this is we have a, a technician who was based in Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, I went and visited him one time and he happened to be on the younger side. He's about 24 years old. He was a couple of years out of college. He'd been with the company for a couple of years and he was just learning all this. And he had um, uh, in the office, he had a lot of inventory and I walked in and I was kind of, wow, there's a lot of inventory in here, huh? So I said, hey, help me understand all this stuff. Like, you know, is it the right amount? And he said, we at Image One, we have a passion to deliver an extraordinary experience to our customers each and every day. So I want to make sure I always have more than enough of our products to deliver to them. So no customers call me and they're gonna, they won't have to wait. I'm gonna have exactly what they need. It's okay, good, good, you know, value. I love that. But what do you see when you see all this inventory? And he said, I see this kind of product, that kind of product. And I said, well, I'll tell you what I see. I see dollar bills. And these dollar bills are not in our bank. They're sitting on a shelf. And some of this inventory could become obsolete, which means those dollar bills are worth pennies. And so we kind of went through this exercise together. He was a smart guy. He picked up on it right away. He started calling around to the different uh, facilities that we have around the country and, and off, you know, offloading some of his inventory so they wouldn't have to buy it. So there's a 24-year-old who all of a sudden understood the impact of his decisions. And it was a great learning for us too, because we learned that we needed to do a better job of illustrating that for people. Um, and so, you know, there's so much power when you provide the information. The last thing I'll say on this topic, and I could go on and on about it, is we utilize through the great game of business, uh, something called high involvement planning. And that's a six month process where we involve every team member in the company on what are the most important things that we need to accomplish in the upcoming year. So it takes six months for us to get there. I mean, it's a lot of collaboration. It's a lot of back and forth. So it's a heavy lift and it's time consuming. But to me, it's well worth the effort because the greatest ideas come from all levels of the organization. Not to mention when people are part of the process, they are bought into the process. And so when we come into the upcoming year, we've heard from everybody and we are really crystal clear on the top three to seven things that we need to accomplish in that year. And everybody's on board with it. And so there's another way that you can really empower your people through, through giving them a voice. Yeah. I've seen the best ideas usually come from those at the front of the line with the customer and they, yeah. they can hear what the customer needs are. There's, there's gold with that. That's right. Um, in my banking days, I, I worked with just a small number of executives and we came up with 2000 new ideas um, <laughs> that could be implemented. And we had a consultant that came in to kind of help, you know, manage them and, and figure out which ones had the biggest impact and price it out to be able to know what to test. But that experience of just sitting there and being able to collaborate with 
across this large organization, identify what the needs are, and then prioritize them, and then begin to execute them just to be able to continue to kind of step back, pause, and allow some growth to take place and to be able to have that at the top of the organization to kind of push it through um, right. was really empowering um, to be able to lift up the voices of, of what was seen um, throughout the organization that maybe the guys at the top or the women at the top couldn't easily see exactly um, where they were. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of power in empowering um, by using that type of work. So yes. I appreciate you sharing that. I think yeah. there's a bigger need for empowerment um, <laughs> as I, I speak with more clients. So this is fantastic. Um, Rob, if someone is listening and they want to take the next step with you, what is the um, the best way to, to get in best, touch with you? Best Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share that. The 10disciplines.com is the best place uh, to find me. And uh, I'd, I'd love to hear from people. So I'm always open to you know connecting. So thank you for that. Rob Dubay, the visionary for the 10 disciplines found on the web at the 10disciplines.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful for the work that you do. My team and I just want to say thank you for tuning in to the Business Vitality Podcast. We really appreciate you being here. If you know of another leader, another CEO, a founder who has another success story that they are willing to share and be able to pay it forward, we would love to highlight their stories on this podcast. You can find more information at katherinecanty.com. And in the meantime, if you could take a minute and rate this show, that would be super helpful because that's going to allow more people like you to find us in order to continue to pay it forward. Again, if you need to learn any additional information, we are happy to help. You can find us more at katherinecanty.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn with my name, Katherine Canty. Thanks so much for being here.